Well, good morning. How we doing? All right. Uh, my name is Timothy Atik, and I'm the director of Vertical Ministries, which is a, a Bible study on the campus of Baylor University. Jesus loves you too. All right, yeah. So thanks for having me. So just feel so loved. Good to be here with you as well. Um, but uh, I graduated from Texas A&M University in 2003. Waco needs missionaries, all right? So that's why I'm just suffering for Jesus, but getting it done, all right? Uh, but it's, it's really a privilege to be here with you today because when I was in college, man, Grace Bible Church made a deep investment in my life. And I would say that um, I, I owe so much uh, to guys like Blake Jennings, Brian Fisher, for how they invested in me. So I'm th- so thankful for this church and the opportunity really to come and, uh, and give back. All right, I want to start this morning by just reminding you of what a fad is. I know you guys are really smart people, but let me just kind of put a definition out there. All right, a fad is something that has a sudden increase in popularity followed by this temporary season of being the craze followed by a sudden and rapid decline. That's what a fad is, all right? I want to just enter right now into a time of confession. I'm going to show you some fads on the screen and a heart that swells, a heart that tells, all right? So if you got sucked into one of these fads, I just want you to slip up your hand, and there's no shame. For some of you, there will be shame, all right? But I just want you to put up your hand, and let's just be honest with one another, all right? Put up the first one. Crocs, anyone? Some of you guys are wearing them right now. Hey, say no to Crocs, all right? It's, it's done, all right? 2005 called, and they want them back, all right? Here we go. Put up the next one. Slap bracelets, anyone? Yeah. These were cool until they cut people's wrists off. That's great. All right. How about this? High school musical? Any? Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right, what about this? The Live Strong bracelet? Yep. Remember those? How about this one? The Snuggie. Anyone get into that? Man, how awesome was that? All right. How about the Rachel haircut? Anyone from the 90s you really get into friends of Rachel haircut? You don't want to admit it. That's right. How about this one? This is a huge fad right here. The Big 12 Conference. Am I right? I mean, talk about a fad. The last one. All right. This one, especially, this is really for you, for you college students in here. This is really going to take... A lot of courage for you to be honest. It's a song, and if you got sucked into it, I want you to own it. All right, here it is. Sing along if you know it. It's fun. All right, that's enough. I want everyone to raise their right hand and repeat after me. I, go ahead, I solemnly swear to not listen to Rebecca Black's Friday ever again. Say it and mean it, all right? Okay. Those are fads. 
And the reason we know that they are fads is because they're just not that cool anymore, right? I mean, college students, when was the last time that your date party felt incomplete without Friday, all right? That just hasn't happened. These things, they're just not that cool anymore. That's what a fad is. It's something that has a sudden rise in popularity followed by a temporary season of being the craze followed by a sudden and rapid decline. Fads really over-promise and under-deliver because they, in a sense, promise to change your life and then they end up on a table at a garage sale at some point. That's what a fad is and that's what a fad does. And the whole reason that I am on the topic of fads right now is that as we look into Acts chapter 5 this morning, one massive truth is really going to be brought into focus. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that truth is right now. Here it is. Don't miss it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this massive truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, this gospel has never been and will never be a fad. That's it. Plain and simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ has never been and will never be a fad. And honestly, we don't have to look in Acts chapter 5 to really grasp that this is the case. Let me just uh, remind you of what the gospel in Christianity has has been doing in this world. Just in case you don't know, the number of Christians around the world has nearly quadrupled in the last 100 years. Now there are over 2 billion people who would identify themselves with Christianity. We don't think about this. We don't realize this because we believe that Christianity, uh, that the U.S. is kind of the center point for Christianity, but Christianity is actually so widespread around the world that no single continent or region uh, can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity. The Bible is the number one selling book of all time. Approximately 78.5 million Bibles are distributed each year. At least parts of the Bible have been translated into over 2,500 languages. This gospel, this good news has only been increasing in momentum and impact all over the world for the past 2,000 years. Why? Because the gospel is in the business of changing lives, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity. I mean, think about the gospel and its implications. Think about how great this news truly is. The gospel frees us from the need to be good enough for God. I mean, I think people worry that they might get to the end of their lives, and when they get to the end of their lives, God is somehow going to put their goods and their bads on a scale and evaluate whether or not they have been good enough for him. The gospel declares that you are freed from that need to be good enough for God. The Bible actually uh, just comes right out and says you haven't been good enough for God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, you haven't been good enough for God. You can't be good enough for God, but that's okay because Jesus Christ has already been good enough for you. Jesus, in a sense, takes your scale 
that God would evaluate. He takes your scale of your goods and bads, and he trades you and gives you his scale, which is only perfection. And because of the gospel, we get to experience what's, what's known as the great exchange. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. This is called the great exchange. Through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus gets our sin and we get his righteousness. And so his scale of perfection is now counted as our scale of perfection. His righteousness is our righteousness. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees us. He sees his Son in his perfection, and he pours out his love, acceptance, approval, and favor upon us. This is incredible news. The gospel declares that we are no longer defined by our failures because we've been made new. We are new creations in Christ. That means we don't have to go through life consumed by the fact that we have failed, we can go through life consumed by the fact that we've been forgiven. Our failures are no longer uh, anchors of guilt and shame that we have to tow around. No, our failures are now trophies of God's grace. Our failures demonstrate just how good and loving God truly is. The gospel declares that we who were by nature children of wrath have become children of God through faith. You realize that? I think that there's this misconception that everyone in the world is somehow a child of God. No, that's actually not true. You're, you're one of two types of children. You are either a child of wrath or a child of God. John 1.12 says, for as many as received him, that's talking about Jesus, for as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Through faith in Christ, our relationship with God has become one of a father and a child. That is the relationship we have. And the great news is that God delights in parenting us. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That means God only does things that brings him pleasure. He delights in parenting us because for some reason it brings him pleasure. And his parenting is on a whole nother level than our parenting because he is our father in heaven. That means he's a perfect father. That means his love is perfect. It's truly pure and unconditional. His wisdom is perfect. That means he always knows the best thing to do. His plans are perfect. That means he doesn't just know the best thing to do. He actually always does the best thing. His discipline is perfect. That means he's never too harsh and never too lenient. His pleasure and delight, they're perfect. They're never contingent upon what his kids do. They flow freely out of his divine affection for us. He's a perfect father, and just as any, just like any good father, he longs for intimacy with us. That's his greatest desire for us. His greatest desire for us is not obedience to him, it's intimacy with him. And this is what is ours 
because of the gospel. This is life-changing news. This is news that doesn't just transform temporarily. It transforms for all of eternity. That's why the gospel has only been increasing in momentum and impact for the last 2,000 years. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been and will never be a fad. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I want to show you a story that's really just going to drive this point home for us today. Acts chapter 5. The story begins in verse 17. Before we start looking at the story, what I want to do, I know you guys have been walking through the book of Acts. I just want to I want to remind you of what has happened so far in the book of Acts. I want to show you the gospel on the move. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it's Jesus' mission statement for the apostles. He says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus just says, okay, this is the goal that this message that I died on the cross for sins and I rose from the dead, this message, it's going to start here in Jerusalem. It's going to spread to the surrounding regions, Judea and Samaria, and then I want it to go to the end of the earth. That is the vision. And so things begin. The day the church began, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 41. Peter stands up, gives an, apparently an amazing sermon because in 2.41 it says this. Listen, it says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So pretty powerful. One message, 3,000 people embrace the gospel. And here we go. Acts chapter 2 verse 47, it says this, praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the the first day of the church, one message, 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ, and then it says day after day the Lord adds people to the 3,000. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, another message is given, and it says this, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So day one, 3,000, now we are up to 5,000. The gospel is on the move. The gospel is spreading. It is increasing in, in momentum and impact, and now we get this powerful verse in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Watch this. It says, And more than ever, more than ever, more than the 3,000. I mean, if you thought that that was a powerful day, no, more than that, more energy, more power, more momentum than the 3,000, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And then now we get this hilarious story in Acts chapter 5, which is going to drive our point home that the gospel has never been and will never be a fad. I love this story because it reminds me that God is really the king of comedy, like God has the best sense of humor in the world. I don't know if you think about God like that, but I guarantee you that God, if you think about all the great laughs that are in this room, God has the best laugh 
in all of creation. His laugh is the kind that you don't have to hear the joke, you just hear the laugh and you laugh as well. Great sense of humor. If you don't believe me, if you ever believe that God is boring or that his Bible is boring, you haven't read the book of Acts. Here we go, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So just to kind of set the scene, the apostles are doing what Jesus really commissioned them to do, and they are going out spreading the message of the gospel. The high priest and the party of the Sadducees rise up against them. What you need to know about the Sadducees is that they were a sect of Jews that were really the chief opponents of Christianity. They believed that Jesus was really a rabbi gone bad. They viewed Jesus as a false prophet and a blasphemer. On top of that, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So just imagine when the apostles show up and they begin to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who rose from the dead and salvation is found in him alone. The, the Sadducees aren't exactly on board. And so they rise up against the apostles and throw them in prison. And here's what happens. As they are in prison, verse 19, it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, let me just say this. This is one of those times where I would have loved to have the woman's version of the story, the, the version with a lot more detail, because apparently, um, apparently Luke has decided that when an angel shows up and busts you out of prison, it's not that big of a deal, and you can kind of sum it up in one verse, all right? No, this... Anytime an angel shows up, it's a big deal, all right? Anytime that happens in your life, it's a big deal, all right? And it requires more than a sentence, all right? Like, I just wonder. I would have loved for Luke to just fill us in on how, what kind of entrance the angel made. I mean, because one minute he's not there, and the next minute he is. What was his entrance like? Did he pull out all the stops and use, like, lights and smoke and music? Or was he just real cool about it, like, peace be with you, I'm an angel. How are we doing, friends? I mean, I see that we're in prison. Are we not? I don't know. I just, I would love to know what his entrance was like. But just put yourself in the apostle's shoes. Just imagine what happens. You are, you're, uh, it's always more fun to get in trouble when you're with a group of people. And so just imagine you and all of your friends are in prison, not knowing how things are going to play out. And then an angel just shows up. He just shows up, takes off your chains, opens the door, and is like, after you. It's like, well, I thank you, angel. I guess I will leave now. And the apostles right, walk right past the guards who have no clue what's going on. I would be so tempted to pull out a Sharpie and, and want to write something on the guard's forehead, and the angel would have to threaten to throw me back into jail, and we'd have this awkward interchange. Anyway, that's how it plays out in my mind. I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but anyway, imagine you walk right past the guards, no clue what's going on, and the angel takes the apostles out into the streets, 
And what does he tell them to do? He says, I want you to go into the temple and share all the words of this life. That phrase, this life, it is a reference to the message of the gospel. So he says, I want you to go back. The thing that you got arrested for doing, yeah, I want you to go and I want you to keep doing that. I want you to go into the temple and I want you to share all the words of this life. Like apostles, don't, don't leave anything out. Like not even the, the uncomfortable parts, like the part where we are deserving of God's wrath instead of his love. Don't leave that out. Share the word, all the words of this life. And so the apostles go into the temple and begin to teach all the words of this life. Now, this is where the story gets really good. This is where I believe that God was just like angels gather around. You're about to see something great. All right, get out your phones, pull out Instagram. It's about to get good. All right, I love this because the next morning, let me just fill you in on what happens. The next morning, as many as 70 officials come together to figure out what they're going to do with the apostles. And they order for the apostles to be brought to them. And so officers go to the prison, and when they show up at the prison, everything is as it should be. There is a guard guarding. There is a door that is locked. They unlock the door, open it, and the guards realize that they need a new title because they really haven't been guarding anything. It's an empty cell. And so the officers go back to the 70 officials and begin to report what they've found. And as they are reporting it, and this is amazing. I mean, I don't know if you realize, God pulls the greatest pranks of all times. Here's what happens as they are reporting. Verse 25 says this, And someone came and told them, Look, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. This is hilarious because I guarantee you these 70 officials just had the greatest night of sleep that they've had in a while because they put the apostles in prison and I guarantee you they put their heads on their pillows thinking, finally, no more teaching about Jesus in the temple. And they wake up. And what's the news? Hey, uh, you know those guys you arrested for teaching about Jesus in the temple? Well, they're teaching about Jesus in the temple. (laughs) I mean, God's hilarious. That's amazing. I love that. And so watch what happens. Verse 26. It says, then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Why were they afraid that they go and gently bring the apostles back? Why? Why were they afraid? Because the gospel had increased in momentum and impact to the entire crowd. So now they were afraid of what might happen. The officials bring the apostles in. We don't have time to read it, but it, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's hilarious. The, the officials bring the apostles in and they said, we, we told you to, to stop teaching about Jesus. And Peter stands up and talks first because that's what he does. He stands up and says, hey, we've got to listen 
to God. You know who God is? Well, God's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. You guys don't believe in the resurrection, but God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, you, you hung him on a cross. You know who Jesus is? Well, Jesus is God who forgives sins. And the officials are so infuriated that the text says that they want to put them to death. But before they put him to death, a guy named Gamaliel stands up and talks. And what you need to know about Gamaliel is that he's said to be the most respected rabbi of his time. Uh, He was the teacher of Saul who became Paul. Gamaliel's the type of guy that when he talks, people listen. And what he says has everything to do with our one massive truth that the gospel never has been and will never be a fad. Look at what he says. Verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So just listen to what Gamaliel says. He says, guys, before you do anything, let me just remind you. Do you guys remember Thutis? What happened with Thutis? Thutis had this sudden increase in popularity, followed by this momentary season of being the craze, but then he died, and so did his movement. His movement had a sudden and rapid decline. What is that? That's a fad. What about Judas? Not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. Do you guys remember what happened with Judas? What happened? Well, he had this sudden increase in popularity, followed by this momentary season of being the craze, but then things died out. He had this sudden and rapid decline. Thutis and Judas, man, they were just fads. So guys, don't freak out. Because if this is just another movement of man, it's going to be a fad. Just give it time. It will run its course. And a moment's coming where there will be a sudden and rapid decline. But, man, if this thing is of God, there's nothing you can do about it. This thing's either a fad or it's God. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, says this. This continued for two years. This continued for two years, listen, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. 2,000 years later, The gospel is still only increasing in momentum and impact. Now, there are two billion people who would identify themselves with Christianity. The gospel is not a fad. 
The gospel has only been increasing in momentum and impact all over the world for the last 2,000 years. Here's what I want to do. I want to actually show you the gospel on the move. I want to give you a visual of the gospel on the move. Go ahead and put up the map if you can. Okay, this is a map from a website um, from an organization called Global Media Outreach. You can check out this website on your own if you get a Great Commission 2020. Uh, But what you are seeing, Global Media Outreach is an organization that puts the gospel on the internet in different forms. And so if you see this pin popping around the map, uh, what it is indicating is people experiencing the gospel in real time. And so if you look at the numbers at the bottom of the screen, this is in real time so far today, 168,000 people have visited a page where the gospel is communicated on the internet. Um, So when you see a blue pin pop up, that means someone has seen the gospel. If you see an orange pin drop, that is just today 16,204 people have indicated receiving Christ. Just today. The green pins indicate people experiencing discipleship through the internet. Now look at where the pins are dropping. It's not even happening in the United States. I mean, it keeps going over to Africa. I mean, it's amazing. If you go and you sit and watch this, this is the gospel on the move. The gospel is not a fad. I think uh, you can go ahead and take the map down. I encourage you to, to check it out on your own time. I think China is an incredible example of the movement of the gospel. China is a place which uh, really, up until the late 1970s, early 1980s, it was a country where the gospel was repressed. And, and since the late 1970s, early 1980s, the gospel has not been able to move freely throughout the country because the government um, seeks to control any impact, any influence that Christianity has. It is a country that seeks to control. In 1949, statistics, uh, I mean, rough numbers estimate that there were about 4 million Christians in the country. And between 1949 and late 1970s, there was a massive movement by the government to repress Christianity. So really, just in the last 35 years, there's been a just a massive swelling, even as the government seeks to control. 1949, estimated 4 million Christians now. 2015, people estimate that there are potentially over 100 million Christians in China. The latest projections are showing that in 15 years or less, China will have more Christians than the United States has. It's amazing. In a country where the gospel is not truly welcome. What this means is, 
no person, no group, no government can stop the spread of the gospel. If God has to send an angel in to bust people out of prison so that his message can continue to spread, he will do it because the gospel is not a fad. Now, here's what I want you to think about. God has limitless power, limitless creativity, and limitless wisdom. He can distribute and communicate his message to the almost 7 billion people in this world. He can get his message out however he wants, yet he's chosen to do it through us. God doesn't need us at all, yet he's chosen to make us his key conduits of the gospel. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says this, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the greatest implication of receiving Christ as Savior, that you're a new creation. And then he says, all this is from God, who through Christ, here's what Christ has done, he has reconciled us to himself, but not only that, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, watch this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You know what this is? This is an invitation from God to step into your ultimate purpose for existence. This is an invitation from God to be a part of something bigger than yourself. This is an invitation to be a part of something eternal. If something in you longs for significance, if something in you wants to truly know that you made your life count for something, this is it. God is inviting us to be his ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It is a representative. God wants to make his appeal to the world through us. What this means is spreading the gospel, evangelism, it's not a missionary thing. It's not a pastor thing. It is a Christian thing. And every single one of us is called to be a part of the spread of the gospel, which is not a fad. I love what Francis Chan says in his book, Crazy Love. He says, the point of your life, the point of your life, don't you want to know what the point of your life is? If you ever sit and wonder if your life really matters or if your life really has a point, here it is. The point of your life is to point others to Christ. That's why you exist. You exist to see the gospel increase in momentum and impact all over Bryan College Station, all over the campus of Texas A&M University, and honestly, all over the world. Mark my word, and I need everyone to hear this. Please, all eyes on me. Do not miss this. Mark my word you are going to make your life about something. You're going to make your life about something. 
college students, man, work hard. Make great grades. But do not make your four years in school about a GPA. Don't make your life about a GPA. You know what? Be successful. Have a great career. Work work hard. Make a great living. Make great money. But don't make your life about success. You know what? Be involved. Belong in the community. Volunteer. Know people. But don't make your life about involvement. Make your life about seeing pins drop on the map. Make your life about the gospel increasing in momentum and impact in the spheres of influence God has placed you in and then all around the world. You want to see pins drop in your home, at your school, at your workplace, you want to see pins drop, you want to be a great ambassador, then let me just encourage you with a few things to do, okay? You want to be a great ambassador, you want to see pins drop, then I would just say this. Here's a few things that I want to encourage you to do. Number one, know know what the gospel truly is, know what the message of the gospel is, and know how to communicate it. Like if someone were to ask you what makes Christianity so great, make sure you know what you're even going to say. Know the message of the gospel and know how to communicate it. Number two, shift your thinking from them coming to you going. Evangelism isn't primarily about getting people to come to us. It is about us realizing the best thing we can do is to go to them. You think about Jesus and the woman at the well. I love how John 4 starts because it says that when Jesus was making his way, it says he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Actually, people, when they traveled, they avoided Samaria at all costs. But for Jesus, no, he had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a woman who desperately needed Jesus. And he went to where she was. It's not about getting people to come. It's about us realizing that we need to go. That means we need to live missionally. We need to live intentionally. That some of the greatest conversations about Jesus we can have aren't in this, not in this room. It's in different coffee shops. It's in the break room at work. It's in the library at school. I'll just say this. If, if you don't have any unbelieving friends, you need to get some. And I'll tell you this, one of the things that really hinders us from engaging with people who don't know the Lord is that we see people for their sin instead of seeing them for their need for Jesus. When you see people for their sin, it causes you to retreat in judgment. When you see people for their need for Jesus, it draws you to them with a genuine desire to point them to life. In regard to world missions, I heard this when I was at Texas A&M. I don't know who the first person was to say it. It honestly doesn't matter. But when it comes to world missions, you're either going, giving, praying, or disobeying. Okay, those are your four options. You're either going, giving, praying, or disobeying. So get involved. 
be a part of the spread of the gospel. Last, uh, I had a professor, I, I had lunch with a professor from Baylor University. Baylor is considered a Christian university, and he said 5 to 7% of all of my students in each of my classes are, unaffi- un, are religiously unaffiliated, and the two top reasons that they don't want to have anything to do with religion uh, is, number one, they feel too smart for it. Number two, they have been hurt by it. I remember when I was a youth pastor, a kid drew a picture, wrote a note, left it on a seat in the youth room at the church, and it says this, I like your Christ, not your Christians. Live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of the calling. I'll close by saying this. If you were to, if you were to come to Waco, I don't... I mean, it's beautiful this time of year if you're looking for a, a vacation spot. I mean, we, we have places like Chili's and Texas Roadhouse. I mean, we've got it, we've got it all. We've got the goods. But anyway, uh, if you were to come to Waco and you were to drive around, uh, you might see a billboard in Waco. It's a black billboard that just has two words on it in bold letters. And the two words are simply this, use me. And I saw that, that billboard, use me. And I just thought, man, that, that's our prayer as Christians. You, use me. Like, God, use me. Let my life be a billboard for your greatness, your goodness, your glory. God, use me to display your excellencies to the world around me. I promise that is a prayer that God loves to honor and answer. So this week, may we be people who come before the Lord and we pray, God, use me. May my life be a billboard that displays your greatness, your goodness, your glory. Because your gospel is not a fad. It's in the business of transforming lives, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I I just want to ask you right now to visualize the spheres of influence God has put you in. Whether you're a student in your certain organizations on campus, whether it's you and your kids and the sports teams your kids are on, Maybe it's your workplace. Just visualize where has God put you right now? And I just want to invite you to think about people in your life who do not know the Lord. Just let their faces kind of flash in your mind right now. And I want you to think about that map that we put up and and just right now ask God to put one country on your mind. Just ask him, say, God, what, what one country you want me to think about right now? And as you think about your spheres of influence, when you think about the people who don't know the Lord, when you think about that country, I just want to invite you right now in the quietness of your own heart to pray those two words. Use me. Just say that. Say, God, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what you want to do or how you're going to do it, but I'm on board. Use me.
Maybe you're realizing this morning for the first time that this news truly is great news and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can step into the family of God. You can become a child of God simply by believing in Jesus Christ, believing in who he is and what he has done for you. You can do that right now. If you need to talk to someone afterward, you can. But let me pray. Lord God, we love you. And we praise you for the good news of Christianity that it is not a fad. We praise you that this news is in the business of transforming lives, not just temporarily, but for all of eternity, God. We are on board. You have given us the privilege of stepping into the family business of spreading your good news throughout the entire world. We want to be your ambassadors, and we pray, use us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a great week.